Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. A chance encounter, a collision of worlds, and a night they will never forget. I'm Kevin Strasser, and I'd like you to meet Jem, Ari, and Lyra, the stars of my latest single, The Runaways, available now on Spotify. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his news-making interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Everybody, Eddie Trunk here with you on another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday via podcastone.com, Apple Podcasts, and now totally free as well via Spotify. Hope you're doing well, and thank you for joining me, and thanks to Goodies Headache Powder for uh, some great stickers that they made, some great Trunk Nation stickers that they made. And you can get information on how to mail away to get them totally free by going to the Trunk Report, which is the blog on eddytrunk.com. And be sure to check out Goody's new product, Goody's Hangover. You can pick up Goody's Hangover at Walmart, Amazon, and other retailers. And for more information on all the great Goody's products, check out goodiespowder.com. And again, they made some very cool Trunk Nation stickers. They're totally free. Self-addressed stamped envelope, too. Stickers, P.O. Box 41, Cedar Knolls, New Jersey, 07927. Allow a couple weeks. Mail is slow these days, and I'll send you out some stickers if you'd like to represent on your vehicle or whatever you want to represent on. So here we are with another week and another podcast and another uh, coming off another time of complete and utter craziness in the world. I don't think 2020 could be any worse. In my lifetime, I don't think I have seen a worse year so far, and we're only a little over five months into it. Uh, Just, you know, from violent protests to looting to rioting to the George Floyd situation to the pandemic, I've had some personal stuff go on and my a loss in my family. I mean, it's endless on the music side. Of course, we lost Neil Peart and uh, some others, and it's just it's just hard to you know, you know feel like there's any let up from this year, which has just been brutal for so many. But look, you have enough of that and enough of the analyzation of that on just about every platform you can go to these days, and that is not what you're going to get here because, as you know, I am here to talk music with you and rock, and that's what I do. And I made that decision on my daily Sirius XM radio show as well. I mean, you can get all the analyzation on every side of this from every outlet possible. I am going to hope to be, for many, a needed diversion for whatever time you spend with me from that stuff, as important as it is. 
So we will continue doing what we do, talking music, talking rock. And as usual, the interviews you hear on this podcast originate and first aired on my daily Sirius XM radio show on Volume, Channel 106. You can hear that live 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time, replaying every night 10 to midnight Eastern, and on demand anytime you want on the Sirius XM app. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, be sure to listen to me every day on Channel 106 for Trunk Nation Talk and Rock with you. Here on the podcast, a little sampling of what I do on a daily basis. Certainly not even one-fifth of the whole picture, but a little sampling here on the podcast. So this week, the interview I have for you is with Bruce Kulick, former guitarist of Kiss, who spent, I think, 13 years, if I had it right. I think Bruce says it in the interview, about 13 years in Kiss. Hard to believe it was that long, but it was. He was uh, in the band for a very long time through their whole 80s MTV era. Most of the the entire non-makeup era, Bruce never wore makeup in the band. It had been a while since I've spoken to Bruce Kulick. I've, I've known him pretty much since he first got in the band, and we had not spoken in a long time. We Occasional text here and there. But I had not done an interview with him in a really long time, and he had been on my show quite a bit over the years. So it was good to reconnect with him, and you will hear that interview in a matter of minutes here on this week's podcast. Now, what has happened since this conversation with Bruce Kulick is quite tragic, because many know who are fans of Bruce, who currently, by the way, plays in Grand Funk Railroad, and also played with Billy Squire and many other bands. But what has happened in the time since I did this did this interview is Bruce Kulick's brother, Bob, has passed away at the age of 70. That news coming down, uh, I guess it would have been yeah, last Friday that Bruce shared with the world via his social media. I knew Bob Kulick. I knew him for decades. Had him on this show and my radio shows many times over the decades. Very talented guy, played with Meatloaf, had a band called Balance, did his own thing, produced records, wrote songs, and maybe most famously for Kiss fans, played as a sort of ghost guitar player in the band on some of the studio tracks on Kiss Alive 2 and some various other things, Kiss Killers, some other stuff uncredited, but over the decades, everybody knew, and it was acknowledged finally by Kiss, that it was actually Bob Kulick stepping in for Ace in certain situations. And also, Bob Kulick played on one of my favorite albums, which is Paul Stanley's 1978 solo record, where he plays all the lead guitar, or most of, brilliantly. It's an incredible record, super underrated, I think. And it's some of my favorite work ever from Bob Kulick. So news came down uh, just a little under a week ago of this sad news about Bob passing away. A cause of death has not been announced, at least at the time I'm recording this podcast, which is the Monday before you hear it on post day Thursday. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to speculate and... We'll, we'll see when the family is ready to release the information. I understand that you know, the family has requested privacy at this time, and they will speak when they're ready to speak in more detail about Bob. The one thing I'll say, and it's, you know, in, in his last couple years of life, Bob Kulick had done a couple interviews, And it was well known that Bob and Bruce had issues. And it is well known that Bob, more specifically, sadly, was a very troubled guy in the last couple years of his life. I am not going to get into all the details of that, but I know about them firsthand, and many in the industry did as well. Um, So, you know discussions for another time and at this point with his passing so sudden and so unexpected you know i think everybody would prefer to remember bob for the great musician and player 
producer, songwriter that he was. But to just throw that out there and not acknowledge, because many did pick up on it in the last couple of years, especially through some interviews that he had done, uh, he, you know, he was struggling with some things and certainly quite, I guess the best word would be, you know, be troubled. Uh, he had wanted to come on my radio show several times in the last year or two, and I respectfully declined because of some of these accusations and things he felt like he needed to say about others that I just thought were somewhat baseless. So I don't really know what was going on, and it's very sad, the whole situation in what is already, as I said a few minutes ago, an incredibly sad and tragic year on so many fronts, including in the rock world, the news of Bob Kulik's passing just a couple days ago. So understand that bringing you this interview with Bruce Kulik today Obviously, Bob, at the time we did this, had not passed away. And obviously, because Bruce, and and look, it's not, it's not a secret. It was in the press. Bob talked about it. There was restraining issues between the two brothers. I'm not breaking news there. Anybody in my audience would know that and followed the story. That's what I'm talking about when I say that he was a troubled guy, Bob was. So, you know, Bruce at this time because of what was going on with Bob, didn't want to get into the weeds with that. And uh, I didn't bring Bob up to him out of respect to what Bruce was dealing with, with his brother. And then sadly, just after this interview aired, we found out that Bob died. And again, no further information at the time we're doing this about what exactly happened or what went on. And it's uh, just unbelievably sad, but Bob Kulik was, a tremendous player since the time of his death. You've seen everyone from Ace Freely to Meatloaf, who he, of course, like I said, played with quite a bit, and, and many, many others. Bob was also a guy that was very instrumental in a lot of tribute records. He was sort of like the king of the tribute records for a while. All of those. I mean, if you're a rock fan, of course, you are listening to this podcast. You probably have a tribute record that Bob worked on or produced in your collection because he did a ton of them in his career. So that was a big part of of his output as, a, you know, owning a studio and putting out music in that way. But, you know, I missed talking to him. I was very worried about him in the last couple of years of his life, as were many others in the industry, as were many others in the KISS camp. And uh, very sad news to find out we we lost him. And you know, Bob Kulik was this close to, as the legend goes, being in KISS initially. I mean, everybody knows the story again, if you're a KISS fan, that he was the guy that was in there and auditioned and pretty much had the gig. And then Ace walked in and sort of stole it from him by just plugging in and be an ace. So I thought it was very classy that Ace, you know, had a nice thing to say about him because obviously they weren't in the band at the same time. And it was the guy that sort of ghosted him on on his records when when Ace was not in shape to play or not capable of playing for whatever reasons Ace was dealing with at that time. Sobriety and what have you. So Giving you that backstory because the interview you're about to hear, there's two important things to take away from it. Out of respect to Bruce, I did not bring Bob up during the interview because at the times the issues going on between them that had been going on for a while that were public to some degree. And of course, Bruce at the time did not know days after we did this interview that his brother would no longer be with us. So keep that in mind in terms of context when you listen to this. But all of that aside, it's a great conversation with Bruce about his time in KISS, some great behind-the-scenes stuff, and other things I think you're going to really enjoy. Also, keep this in mind. The interview you're about to hear was done on the radio, but it was done over Zoom. So the audio may sound a little different than it normally does, maybe a little better, maybe you won't like it as much, I don't know, but you can clearly hear everything. But there is a complete video of this conversation as well, which I'm assuming SiriusXM will put some of that up on their app should you have the service. 
So just search Trunk Nation on the SiriusXM app. But anyway, Bruce, uh, you know, Bruce, for almost an hour, about 45 minutes, I think we go in the talk where, that you're about to hear. So I certainly hope you enjoy it. And it was great catching up with him. And my condolences, most importantly, to Bruce and his entire family on the passing of Bob Kulik, which, again, had not happened at the time we did this interview. Remember, connect with me on social media, at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, fan page on Facebook, Instagram, and eddietrunk.com is the official online home. Also, real quick, we have so many people that ask me all the time about that metal show. We did a little incredibly impromptu, out of nowhere, that metal show reunion, <laughs> if you want to call it that. Myself, Don, and Jim got together at my beach house last weekend, and I had my 12-year-old son, Phil Must, sitting around a citronella candle, and we did a little That Metal show out of nowhere. If you want to see it, it's on the fan page on my Facebook, at Eddie Trunk, and thanks to the nearly 100,000 at the time that I'm doing this who have watched it. Who knows? Maybe we'll do more of that somewhere down the line, but it was fun. We were all just hanging out, having some beers, talking, and we said, what the hell? Let's do it. You know, the fans are always asking. It'll be fun. And we got a lot of great response, completely unplanned, <laughs> as you'll see. And uh, I think that, co- I did, did I mention the Alice Cooper thing? I'm forgetting. I'm forgetting what the hell I'm even saying here. So I'm doing it now. I, I, I don't know. I'm not sure if I mentioned this. If I did, I apologize, but otherwise I'm mentioning it again. Because the reason why I, I don't even know is because I'm, when I'm doing this, I re, have to read commercials and things before and after I record this. So sometimes I forget my timeline. I'm pumping out so much stuff here. Anyway, on my Sirius XM show, we are going to do a, what's usually I do the LA invasion where I go to Los Angeles and I broadcast live from the rainbow. Obviously, because of the pandemic, can't do that for the time being. So we're going to do one virtually. Alice Cooper is my guest. And I'm recording it tomorrow, Friday, June 5th. If you're listening on post day tomorrow. If you'd like to enter to join in on the Alice Cooper virtual town hall invasion. Go to the SiriusXM volume Facebook or Twitter and find the entry information and enter to join us for this town hall, which is going to be a lot of fun. You can watch Alice and I talk and we'll take some questions from you, the audience for Alice Cooper. So again, find the entry form on Facebook or Twitter at Sirius XM volume and the Information on how to register is there. And here's the deal. If you are listening to me right now with this on the day that this posts, which is June 4th, do it immediately because at noon Eastern time today, they're closing entry. So unless you're listening to this on the morning of the day it went up or late at night, if you're in the Pacific time zone, on the night it went up, you can enter right away. Try to enter anyway, even if it's past the deadline. Try. Who knows? But uh, hopefully I'll, you'll be joining me tomorrow on Friday, June 5th for a virtual get-together with Alice Cooper, which will be recorded and then aired on my Sirius XM volume show on Monday, which, again, you can hear me on 106 volume every day live, 2 to 4 Eastern, with a nightly replay, 10 to midnight Eastern. So there you go. Let's uh, get ready to talk to Bruce Kulik. Rest in peace, Bob Kulik. And Bruce joins us coming up on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Podcast One presents... 
This is a collect call from Sing Sing. My name is John J. Lennon. I'm locked up for selling drugs and committing murder. I'm also a contributor for Esquire magazine and the Marshall Project. So I'm a writer and I'm a prisoner. Imagine trying to stay focused and talk about issues of substance with gates slamming, prisoners screaming, and PAs blaring in the background. Get new episodes every Wednesday on Spotify, Podcast One, and Apple Podcasts. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Eddie Trunk back with you. Let us now begin the interview with Bruce Kulik. Enjoy. How are you, Bruce? How's it going there, Eddie? Great. Thank you. Great to see you. Great to have you on. And I was just talking to you off the air for a second. You live in Vegas now. How long have you been there? Yeah, it's been a couple of years. You know, California got um, kind of more busy and more complicated and flying all the time. The airport was a scene and the taxes were a scene that I just got tired of. And and I always had some good friends out here. And my accountant would say, get out of California, you know. Uh, and it's nothing against personally California. It was just getting harder for me. And uh, I could uh, at least afford a home here. And that's that feels great, especially now that we're all kind of much more stuck at home than 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 we would ever imagine so i do enjoy being here very much yeah for every reason you mentioned wanting to leave california and go there are all the same reasons why i want to leave new jersey and come there because (laughs) of course taxes airport congestion and and i have so many friends that are there three of them are in your band that you play kiss songs with in brent and todd and zach we're all great buddies we hang out all the time there yeah yeah, and I know, I know you 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 always hang with them and see them, and uh, yeah. I'm happy about that, of course. And and I affectionately call them uh, the Vegas Mob because it's the members of Bruce's band with two Bs. Okay, so uh, that's the clever little name for my band with with those guys, and and they are just so tremendously talented and so so much fun to work with. You know, and I'm I'm very 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 excited, and and we should talk about that too. During well, this we should. You know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, well, Brent and Todd were just on with me a week or so ago, uh, talking about Tuke, the other band that they're yes. doing. And yep. you came up a lot talking about when sure. you guys first started doing the, the deep eighties kiss tracks on the yep. kiss cruise and the mm-hmm. video making the rounds. And I loved seeing and hearing all those songs again. Right. How was that whole experience for you to dig into that? You've really Bruce to me. And I think this is great, by the way, in the last few years, especially seem to really be embracing your era of kiss and really sort right. of bringing it out there whether you're doing it on your own on social media now and playing some mm-hmm. songs from your house or doing that band from time to time so talk right. a little bit about that if you will well it was always my goal and and celebration in my you know of my music career to wave the flag of my my 12 years in the band because i i think it's a big part it's enough of a chunk of kiss and of course very unique with no makeup, you know, I went through obviously Eric Carr, who we all loved and missed, missed, yes. and and Eric Singer, who of course has had tremendous success currently in the band for many mm-hmm. many years. But uh, the amount of albums we did and everything, and and the fact that when Kiss went back in makeup, of course first with Ace and now Tommy, you know, th- the majority of the set list was a lot of stuff from the early years, as you know. And um, I always did feel that my era had some fantastic songs some of the kiss fans actually got hip to kiss from tours that i did you know and uh there's various records and tours that made that impression because of the age group that's the great thing about being part of the kiss family is this multi-generational fan you know you know base which is um blessed with so yes i love representing it so when i finally got that opportunity especially to work with guys like todd zach and brent uh, who are big Kiss fans? Huge, okay. Um, oh, I know. To do the cruise. <laughs> the idea would be well. There's so many songs. I made a Spotify playlist of every song I was involved with with the band, and it was huge. You know, if it amounted to probably close to a hundred songs. So how am I going to represent that in an hour and fifteen minute set? So um, I, I decided to do some medleys, and those guys are the perfect guys to do that. We'd hash out. You know, obviously you can't do everything from a Hot in the Shade album. So you pick like three or four that could run into each other. I got this from really the Rat Pack. They used to do things with medleys and all that. And I would hear that I'm a big fan of that kind of music. And I realized there's nothing wrong with starting off with, 
you, you know, one tune and then just segue into another. So then it would be the revenge medley, the, you know, haunt the shade medley, uh, of course, full songs, but with the power of, um, Todd's vocals, Todd Kearns and Zach thrown to cover the gene stuff. And then, you know, Brent being an amazing drummer and these guys can play their instruments. Fantastic. Uh, we can cover anything from my era. I'm the one that's a little reluctant sometimes to play some of the stuff where I think is like, Oh my God, what was I doing on the guitar? You know, because how many years have gone on since asylum, let's say, you know? So, um, I, th I think it's been a win-win for the fans and personally for me. And I'm very fortunate for that. It's it's awesome, and I got to tell you, being so close with those guys, we text and talk all the time. And when they were rehearsing that stuff and and going through it, and you know, I text Zach, and he'd be like, "I'm deep in the Carnival of Souls right now. What's going on?" Or and then I'll be like, "Okay, well, uh, Love it. you know, are you doing Rain?" And he's like, "Oh, because right. we're all as geeky as anything." And right. then I would hit him with, uh, "You know, you got to do. I'll fight hell to hold you. I'll tell Todd." And I'm like, "You can't get up exactly. that high singing." He's like, "Yeah, I'm going to try to do it." And it was right, so much right. fun to hear it and then of course i wasn't on the cruise but to be able to see the video of it and todd and yeah. brent brought this up a couple weeks ago thanks to the social media world i mean even though you right. only do it on the cruise it has taken on another life where people around the world have now seen it do you think bruce yeah. that it's viable for you guys to be able to go out and do that even as a club show or club tour do you think that's um, possible well well let's act like everything's normal okay because we know the music right. business is not normal now um, right. I think in some areas it might have been, although it is so hard, uh, especially if it was East Coast and we all live out here, to get there and do a run of 10 dates. There, there were people that talked, as you're well aware, you know, I've been, you know, with Grand Funk 20 years now and we, we can work almost every weekend. I, I am able to go and do things like the Kiss Cruise and, and go off maybe to uh, Australia or Europe or do something for, for a week or two, but it's not that easy to just, uh, schedule it. and those guys get busy with slash and and right. zach plays with a million different people but um i would like to say in a normal world that we'd be able to do some things uh and, and yet i you know there's nothing better than a captured audience of 2500 kiss fans to serve that up to okay on a on a big pool deck stage and thank god um i mean i'd love to professionally have filmed it but fans do that you know uh because that kind of stuff's not really allowed on the cruise it belongs to the, the cruise and the, you know, that, that event. So what the fans have captured certainly got the word out there of which I'm real proud of. And, uh, I'm blown away by watching those videos myself. And even if they're a little rough, you know, you hear wind blowing and things. I mean, we're out there in the elements, you know? Um, so it's, it's really, really, uh, been, been, uh, maybe, you know, we can do more and I hope so, but right now everything's upside down and, and, since we're talking about the cruise and how much that's meant to me and my, my band and what a fantastic, um, for me, it was a, a, a real validation of my years because the reaction from the fans was so tremendous. Oh, we got to have Bruce's band back. Um, you know, I can't do better than what, how the fans love kiss, but the point is I'm going to do that, that, um, celebration of my era. And since it's not focused a lot, understandably by the current kiss, why not? So I'll be that ambassador. And I know actually those guys, Gene and Paul, absolutely have been very, very uh, appreciative and, and, and have given me many compliments and those guys, which is obviously true validation, if you get what I mean. But uh, yeah. I, I, I'm sure you're aware because I know you're on the, uh, the pulse of the music industry. But yesterday, you know, Six Man, the promoter, and Gene and Paul gave a message about the postponement of Kiss Cruise 10. Okay. So um, I was thinking that would happen all along, and then and now it's real. And I was hoping it would happen before our conversation, just in case you asked me. I wouldn't know what to say. Right, know? right. Well, we talked about it a second ago. The press release came out that not only the company that produces that cruise not only canceled that, but there's a whole docket of things they produce, and all of it of for 2020 has been postponed or canceled. And I mean, yeah, and in our I'm, case, they were really clear. I don't want I don't want anybody out there to get upset. You should say postpone because the information I got was definitely we want to do this in a year. So, you know, but they don't have it all um, figured out exactly yet, of course. You know, what's interesting about it, though, we were talking about that Kiss has floated out there, this elusive, like, final, final, final ever show performance. Right. And, and assuming the cruise happens uh, when they're saying it would be past that date. <laughs> so right. I think everything's off the table right now and everything's I, up for grabs. It's impossible to know what's going to happen. 
from the moment this thing got really real and everybody was finally, hey, Bruce, can you do an interview? You know what I mean? And of course, that's been part of what I've been keeping busy with at times, speaking to people. Uh, and I always brought up the fact that I don't think Kiss needs to keep that date in stone by any means. How do you do that when you've lost like potentially a year of touring? You know what I mean? So I don't think July 21st should mean anything, but I'm not Doc McGee and the guys to make that decision, you know, but certainly Gene and Paul are aware we want to do Kiss Cruise 10, but it's going to have to be in a year, you know, more than a year from now until 2021, you know, so we'll see what happens. Who knows? Do you think, Bruce, it, look, you've been on the road your whole life. You you still tour, like you said, with Grand Funk and, and other mm-hmm. things that you do. The the whole place that we're in right now, I had a couple callers call me the other day and say, w- with these older acts that we love that have been around forever, that are in their 40, 50th year, where the band members are right. late 60s or into their 70s, there's a lot of those. And a lot of those bands are actually the biggest drawing bands out there because mm-hmm. of generations yeah. that come to see them. But some fans are wondering, because of the scare of this virus, because of the nature of a live show backstage meet and greets travel that some of these guys especially if there's some with underlying health conditions may Mm -hmm. just call it a day now and be like hey you know what this is a good time to just i've been trying to figure out a time to retire maybe this is it i mean where do you think this all goes i mean i mean the reality of what that conversation you have with the fan is very very real in the sense that it might come down to people making a decision. Well, I don't want to retire, but if it meant putting my life in jeopardy, potentially, I might have to consider that, you know, and I've had these conversations. I'm 66 with people that I, you know, respect from my business guy, you know, the accountant guy and from friends that are doctors, you know, and no one knows where this is really going is the feedback I get from me. But right now I don't have to make a decision. So I don't want to, but if I had to retire in, this, in the traditional sense, I'd still be active. But I certainly um, don't know, like, the next time it would be okay for me to save, be safe to travel and perform. And I think any artist, I don't even know if, if maybe even if you're in your 50s, you might have to look at that differently. Because apparently sure. this virus is very confusing. And I know that from the doctors that I know. You know, no one's really immune. The information about this thing has been difficult to to keep up with because it's 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 keeps changing sadly yeah. you know so so i do think that um everyone has to learn new ways to to you know uh, be in touch with their fans and and do things and um certainly this idea of a drive-in concert we know that's probably the most safe thing you can do although that doesn't really sound like a a concert to me that sounds like a movie you know what i mean right. with, with the kids so, uh, and, and I wanted to ask you, I saw that you mentioned the stadium tour for Motley Crue and those bands and the fact that there's been silence from them. I don't get it. It's ridiculous. And I think it's also, I mean, it's, it's live, live nation. When you see stuff being blown out at the end of this year already for them to not mm-hmm. tell fans what's going on a month before it's supposed to start and maybe say, we'll let you know two weeks out is a bad look across the board. It's a, I'm being mm-hmm. honest. It's a bad look for live nation. It's a bad look for the bands because you know, half the bands don't half the fans don't know who a promoter is. They don't care. They're going to see the yeah, band. They bought a yeah. ticket to see the band. So it it's, it's ludicrous that they've stretched this out this long. When you don't have sports, when you've got cruises being bumped a year out and you got a yep. tour by nature, of its name stadium yeah <laughs> i mean yep. that just doesn't work for you right now given the the, the pandemic it, it's mind-boggling yes. but you know bruce i gotta think that a lot of it and and look you you and i both know that this is a business and it comes down yeah. to money and if they yep. can hold some money for a little while while they try to figure it out that's a lot of money to be held before they got to worry about giving it back i gotta think it just comes down to a business issue but it makes no sense and there's a lot of fans very upset about it rightfully so Right. I mean, certainly when it comes to massive things like that, I think the decisions are much more difficult for the companies. Yes. And then and it becomes magnified by us even talking about it. But, you know, right. I, I did an interview where Ricky Rocket was there. And of course, it was discussed. And that was like more than it was probably three weeks ago. You know what I mean? And and and, and you know, he didn't know what to say. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so at some point, I'm hoping that. um you know, it, it, it is clearer for the fans. And I'm really proud of 
I couldn't tell you if it was totally the promoter of the cruise line and Gene and Paul or Gene and Paul doc and the, you know, it doesn't really matter, but I'm very, very happy of their responsibility of finally making a decision, announcing it and not waiting and waiting and waiting. I think it was the responsible thing to do. And I love their messages. It was the right thing to do. I couldn't agree with you more, and I also agree there are bands that have gotten it right. Bon Jovi did the right thing, canceled yep. his whole tour with Brian Adams early. Let's get money back to the fans. They need it. Leonard Skinner right. just did the same thing. So there are yep. examples of bands doing it the right way or artists or promoters. The, the funny the funny part about it is they all pretty much have the same promoter. So that's what's so baffling why you know Live Nation can, right. and Bon Jovi or Skinner can do it to perfection, yeah. and this big tour is just sitting out there yeah. and like nobody in the world thinks it's happening as planned yeah. but they just can't get to it yeah, hey, yeah let me let me ask you a couple things that i always wanted to, to hit you with so you sure. mentioned your era of kiss and i always mm. have debates i was just on jericho's podcast with him yep. chris is a good friend i know he and we just need to did, talk about jericho too but he's go got ahead. a whole yeah. he's the kiss 80s yeah. freak he's got us i saw yeah. one of the songs already so yes there's there's all that going on but we always have debates amongst ourselves Yes. about your era of kiss mm-hmm. and their you know the favorite record uh-huh. right of course of course so i've always maintained my favorite tour by far mm-hmm. was hot in the shade okay. i thought that's where you guys the look the set list mm-hmm. the band everything i loved that tour uh, the extended solos went away some more early stuff it was just everything about hot in the shade was 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 great to me but right. as far as albums is concerned i know a lot of people immediately gravitate towards revenge but i got to tell you and i'm sure you may be aware of this in recent years my answer to the question and more and more people's answer to the question is actually your first record with the band asylum yeah, Asylum I don't know if you picked love. up on that, but Asylum yeah. has taken on a whole yeah. new stature with Kiss exactly. fans lately, and it was your first record. So, so what are your yeah. thoughts? Do you have a record from your era that you feel most strongly about, top to bottom? First of all, I, I mean, I'm so flattered, and I've noticed that there's been a lot of internet chatter about favorite tracks on all the albums from my era, which obviously I'm thrilled about. And I have noticed, especially Asylum being something really heavily discussed. And I'm, I'm happy about all of it. You can imagine that, of course. Um, and I don't really have a favorite because I always look at it like this. And people with sometimes really complicated question to me, favorite track. Uh, I, I don't want to say one. I look at it like I know I have some standout. And they don't have to be a fan favorite, but there are standout tracks from each record. So if you say Asylum to me, I have to say Tears Are Falling, okay? Because the solo, I, I became a voice on the track. You know what I mean? That people love the solo. They know it. And it, it connects with them. Who Wants to Be Lonely? Another song that seems to be so popular. Uh, all Night for the cheap, you know, the kind of the, the cheeky kind of nature of it and all. And then you get into Crazy Nights. Crazy Nights was not as big a hit in America, but certainly was in Europe. Huge. You know, yeah. and there's no, no, no on that. Reason to Live is the big power ballad. Um, a lot of other strong songs on that. And then, uh, uh, you know, you get into The Hot in the Shade and there's, Hide Your Heart, and I'll say Forever, of course, because of the acoustic solo for me and the fact that it's a wedding song, et cetera. And by the time you get... Now, that tour was great because we had a great package, and Larry Mazur stepped in. I got to give him a little credit. He was there as the Kiss manager, who I'm still good friends with. And he, uh, he, he was the one that mentioned, no long solos, let's get it, songs, songs, songs. And we started to do actually some of the uh, vintage Kiss stuff, which I did yeah. enjoy playing. And then, of course, the Revenge album for me, the reason why I'll always usually navig- uh, you know, kind of navigate to that one being my favorite is mostly the experience working with Bob Ezrin, who I absolutely admired so much, even though he was a, a mad professor. Okay, He tortured me at times, and it was hard. But the point is, the, uh, the attitude of the band then, no compromise, and we were going to be brutal. And they had some, you know, that real professor, you know, schoolmaster there who could shut down Gina Paul. Bob, Bob knew, knew how to handle them from the success from Destroyer. And then, of course, yeah, maybe the elder was a little departure into the wrong land. But you get what I'm saying. So Revenge was just laser focused for me. And I love the songs and the guitar playing. But I can't, you know, it's not fair. I have highlights on all these records. I love Unplugged. And that's just a live performance. I love a live three. You know, there's a couple of fun songs on Smashes, Thrashes. X and Sex went over so well on the cruise. You know that. So yeah. 
I don't know. It's a body of work that I'm just super proud of. And it means the world to me to know that people are talking about it. And people like Chris Jericho, who you mentioned, who's a, one of the guys spearheading some of that stuff, could actually go into this quarantine project that he made right. with a couple of talented guys. Yeah, you know yeah. About he, I saw the video for No, No, No. It was already sent yeah. to me by PJ, and uh, it's great. And I know, you know I te- Chris already texted it to me, too. So, yeah, we're all, it's all a network. We're all in touch, and we all, it's great stuff that everybody's doing. And I think it's great that your era is, is being embraced and celebrated but, but by more than that, the fans I, I, and you. Absolutely. But I did want to, I mean, here's my, uh, you know, selfish plug. Uh, and it's a great story, though, and it's all related to how we're all trying to survive here in the pandemic and all was that, you know, all right, I'm not going to be traveling for gigs. I'm kind of stuck at home. Uh, Let me see what comes my way. Obviously, interviews do the opportunity to give guitar lessons and things like that. But uh, people wanting to do a a recording, you know, and you film at home, of course, but you record on something. I didn't really have my studio set up here. I usually just go somewhere to a friend's studio. And um, I finally got that going. And I have to thank Eric Singer for that and Chris's guys that he started to work with. Eric Singer asked me, you know, you know, this guy, Kent and, and Joe from they, they're big Nashville guys with uh, Luke Bryan. I mean, you know, I, don't, I heard of the guy, but I don't know his music. And Joe, that's when I heard someone. No, no, no. That you just mentioned. And it's killer. You know, Joe yeah. plays great. Joe McGinnis and yeah. Kent, the drummer is a dear friend of Eric. They're huge Kiss fans. And Eric saying, you got to contact them. They want to do hard of chrome. I hear that. My ears perk up. Right. The hairs on my arms stand up. And I'm like. I want to be involved. I want to do the solos. How? And then, okay, you got to record it. Okay. Give us the guitar files. I'm like, oh shit. Okay. So I started learning my garage band. I mic'd up a, a cabinet and a head and, and everybody loved the tracks. And that's their second song from the new quarantine with a K. Right. Okay. With, with a, a K. destroyer yep. on. And, and, you know, PJ Farley's the other guy in the band who I always heard of. I don't know if I ever met him, but Trickster was on the bill for Hot in the Shade. Yep. My wife just showed me a poster we found in the house and it said Trickster and uh, Slaughter or something like that. So isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah. PJ's a Jersey guy. I've known him forever. Him yep. and Steve and all the Trickster guys. Yep. Real They're talented good people. So, talented so, people. Yeah. yeah. And then to give my, you know, Lisa, film me in front of my, I don't know where in the house to record my solo. <laughs> All right. This is the chair I did it in. All right. Film, you know, and I send yeah. it off to Chris and he has a great guy edit it. And it was thrilling. And I have to, the last part of that I wanted to share was, see, that's the kind of stuff that I really want to do with, with the guys here in Vegas, the mob. Why not? I mean, we don't know when we're going to have our properly safe uh, opportunity to do a gig. But we could all record at home and then film that and have someone be creative with it and share things with our fans. Bruce, a little while ago, you mentioned the the Kiss Unplugged, which was obviously such a hugely pivotal moment in Kiss history. I was actually there. I was actually at the taping, and I knew what was coming with Ace and Peter coming out, and then you guys all playing together. A few weeks ago on this show, I did something where I asked the audience about their favorite live albums, and Unplugged, of course, a live came up predominantly but unplugged came up a lot and a lot of people also referenced of all the kiss live albums unplugged is probably the most actually live which having been at the taping is pretty true right absolutely very very pure and the only the only bit of work that was done i remember it's really hard for two drummers that don't play together play together okay eric and peter so i just remember that that was one thing the engineer was able to like make make much more natural but yeah, probably the majority of it was just there, you know, which I'm very proud of that performance from everyone. It was, it was, might've been my last gig with the guys, but it certainly was going out with a, in a bang, you know, with a bang for sure. Well, there, there ties into my question. Did you feel after that night was done that what was going to happen happened? Were you told, were you tipped off? Were you prepared for it? When Ace and Peter walked out, was your gut like, uh, I don't know if I, you know, this, this might be a train right. that's going to go running without me. I mean, what, what were your, what is your recollection of exactly how that felt for you? First of all, the the reaction from the crowd was exactly what I expected. How could it not be? It was just really, really momentous for the original four to be there under such of a fantastic production on lights and MTV and everything. So that part of it, I thought made a hell of a lot of sense. Um, because almost for two or three or maybe even more years, there was always a little rumor or this I would hear or that I would hear. And, and I'm not saying I'd ever hear it from 
Gene and Paul, you know, it would be much, much more just something where a fan would share that, oh, you know, Ace is going to be back or you get what I mean? So in that way, because I always felt like, well, every year that I continued from when I joined was a blessing to me because I never really expected 12 years. Okay. I didn't know what would happen to the band. I didn't know when maybe makeup would return and it would be time for the reunion. But I certainly always understood that feeling. So did I feel it more from Unplugged? Maybe a tiny bit, but I, we carried on. We went into the studio to record Carnival of Souls. Although I do have a great story with that was the fact that we're writing, we're always writing music. And I remember asking Gene, because I knew they were going to go with Toby Wright. We already recorded a song to get the advance from the record company. And even though I'm not involved with that business, I know when we went in the studio to record something, it would be to show the label we, we're committed. We, we're going to do an album. Okay. And, and ironically enough, we were cutting um, a slightly different version of I Walk Alone. Okay. Uh, but it was still I Walk Alone was what we cut. And that way the label goes, okay, here's, here's money towards recording your record. And I remember there would be this long lag in what happened. Like, why aren't we, where's the date for when we start with Toby? And I remember calling up Gene, unbeknownst to me, of course, they're dealing a lot with the legal wrangling of how to put together this tour that got offered from the MTV thing. And, but later that day, after I mentioned it to Gene, all of a sudden he calls and gives me dates. But I thought it was kind of funny for me to prompt him. You follow what I mean? Dates to go out on what would have been a Carnival of Souls no, tour? No, 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 no. To, to go book the studio oh. to start recording Carnival right. of Souls. Right. See, I had the timeline screwed up because for some reason I thought some of Carnival of Souls was done leading into Unplugged. I no. thought the record was done. Maybe Demos. a song was. Okay. Demo. So August, uh, what was it? August something. Uh, there's a fan out it there. It was the day it. after my birthday. It was the 9th. I remember it. It's the there only reason go. I remember the know. date. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. All right. And or I the 7th, the day there. before after, but yeah, I was right. there. Yeah. And I didn't know you were there, Eddie. That's wonderful, actually. It was really a wonderful night for everybody. Yeah. Um, no, that was August. Uh, obviously, they put it together. You know, that took months, right? I don't think it came out till Halloween, I believe. But we were in the studio sometime in the f- late fall. And then we, but we were always recording demos. Okay. So that's where you might, and believe me, I'm, I'm, I may not be accurate with exact months and dates, but I'm telling you the order. Nothing was recorded before Unplugged, but a lot of demos were done, okay? But the taping of Unplugged, I'm not talking about the release. So we're in the studio, let's say November, December. I have video of me wearing like a Santa hat and my birthday on the 12th of December in the studio recording at Music Grinder. You get what I mean? But it was in January was when there was some odd times in the studio recording Carnival Souls where uh, I remember they, you know, sometimes some phone calls Gina Paul would have to take, which usually wouldn't have happened during a recording thing, you know, and they made sure it was private, which I respected because I didn't want to know that the reunion was happening. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But at, at a certain point, I think once everything fell into place for them, they they had Eric and I go up to uh, Gene's guest house. And that's when they laid out the uh, uh, the, the reunion tour plans and said, uh, we're going to finish this record, of course, but this is what's going to happen. We're going to announce it in March. And, and, and Eric was more in shock than me. But either way, um, it, it, was, it was a big change in my life. But that was, you know, what was supposed to happen. I, I never look back at that in an angry way. I look back at it as like I knew it was going to happen sometime. Of course, Carnival Shows got shelved. Of course, Carnival Souls got bootlegged. And then the copies out there were terrible, you know, and you know the rest. But it came out. Paul told me one day when I said to him, it's never going to come out. He said, no, it's going to come out. Mark my words. And he was right. The final sessions. Okay. I get it. And for some of the fans, uh, oddly enough, they love it, you know, really love it. So thank you. Do you, do you like the record? I do. I don't like, I don't love the mixes. I'll tell you that. And I'll tell you why. Now the cat's out of the bag that the reunion is going to happen. So Gene and Paul's kind of, mind is not exactly like this has got to work you get what i mean right but we're right. going to finish it with toby right toby god bless him he's a very passionate engineer and he got into it sometimes with gene it didn't help when they mixed the song together if you get what i mean okay and they're just you know so i do feel that the intention couldn't be there as a band 
And there were some mixes that I felt went a little bit too, to, towards not enough attention or, uh, um, uh, you know, contributions from the band members or done like this. You know what I mean? I'll never forget Gene and uh, Toby going at it at, uh, uh, I think it was that song, uh, The Childhood's End. And Gene just pushing faders and things and Toby getting all like freaked out. You know what I mean? That's not how you mix a record, Eddie. You can't mix a record that way. Right. You know, so right. I think that the record could uh, stand for a remix. I'm not ever telling you whatever happened, but I do love the record. The attitude, we were supposed to do a heavier, darker, meaner album than Revenge. And I was driven to come up with the most uh, wild riffs I could. And I challenged the band with that. I got to sing a song, very prophetic title, I Walk Alone. Yep. It's Gene's lyrics. And, and one last thing about that, and then I could talk about Carnival Souls for hours, but that song, I sang the demo. It was never supposed to be my vocal. It was Toby Wright that said, let Bruce sing it. He's got the right vibe for this. And I was like, I didn't ask to sing a song. I, Gina Paul, a great vocalist. What am I doing singing a song? You see what I mean? Yeah, well, I'm glad you had that moment to sing that song, much like I've always been so glad, because we both know, um, you, of course, were in the band with him, but Eric Carr was a dear friend, yes. and I know how much he loved that he finally got to sing a song in Little yeah. Caesar, and he was so proud of that, so it's sure. great that you guys had those those mm -hmm. lead vocal moments. The last time, I was thinking about this, the last time you and I may have actually seen each other, although it was very briefly, was when Kiss went into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, because I was sitting with Ace and Peter at their table, and you guys were right, right adjacent or behind, and yep. you were at the table with Gene and Paul, and I gave a wave i remember um sure. that night you know it, it's such a such a like everything in kiss land it's a polarizing <laughs> thing fans have a lot of differing feelings about what went on um but for you and, and there's a lot of people rightfully upset that yourself or eric carr or others right. weren't included in that induction we all know the hall of fame has had there's a million examples of people who have contributed far less to their respective bands and gone in Yes. You, I've never gotten your take on how that night went. Uh, I'm assuming Gene and Paul invited you and your feelings about, you know, not being included with the band that you gave 12 years to. You know, I, quite honestly, from the second it was announced and they were not going to, uh, it, you know, uh, induct more than just the original four. As much as I had to accept that, I, I, I knew that that wouldn't sit very well for Paul and Gene. And Paul was especially vocal about it, of which I was quite proud of. In some ways, I felt like he was really pushing the narrative of all the years of the band, including the current, you know. And, and so I was all for whatever they wanted from me in the sense of an invitation to come and support them. Absolutely. I'll be there. You know, and and it was an honor for me to be there. I was excited to see it. I I knew the politics behind it. Unfortunately, it's kind of really ironic how how bad the Hall of Fame can be to so many bands. How unfair! And uh, and that night, ironically, there was all of the other members of the E Street Band who right. made Bruce Springsteen famous being inducted. You know, um, and it's a real tragedy for Kiss fans. Now, I can never say that my name, you know, my status in Kiss could ever match, you know, an original member like Ace and Peter and what, what they brought. I wouldn't have had the job without them. So that, that I know and I respect that. But I don't, I don't get why the, the Hall of Fame couldn't have um, got it better and then included everyone. And, and then I think you would have seen a much different attitude from everyone. And then you probably would have seen a performance of some sort. Mm. And it didn't yeah, well happen. Yeah, no, yeah, I know. I mean, whether people want to know or admit it or not, I was intensely involved from Ace and Peter's side in trying to help them navigate through all that. And I know the ups and downs and craziness that went on leading into it. But the one thing when you walk away from it, um, I feel that it was in, for fans who fought so hard to want them in there. I feel we got incredibly shortchanged without a performance. It was what should have been the yeah. most special moment it turned into being basically a, a footnote in that whole evening. I think Springsteen's band is still talking. <laughs> their, their induction thing went on 15 guys going on forever. Yes. It was crazy. But 
it's just there's yeah. no logic to it, and it's not just with Kiss. It's across the board. You've got yeah. people that have been included with bands that were not even credited on records or yes. maybe were did one record, and yeah. then you've got Eric Carr, who was the first ever replacement member, and yourself, uh, such incredibly important contributions to keep that band alive during the 80s. And, and, it's, right. and, and yes, and you can make the argument, of course, for Eric Singer and Tommy and Vinny and everybody, but... I think a lot of people very much felt rightfully so that when it came to people that absolutely should have at least made the cut, you and Eric Carr uh, absolutely should have been in there. And I know the band has nothing to do with it. I know you don't have anything to do or control over it, but it just was one of the many, many wrongs from them that they got horribly wrong. I thought that night I took the high road. I was supportive and kind to everyone. I was thrilled to be there. It meant a lot to me. I did a nice write up about it for my, you know, website and fit, social media got covered by a couple of magazines. I took pictures with stars there. That was a lot of fun, but that was the tragedy of it. And, um, you know, it's still, and we, we can conclude with nothing meant more that night. That one moment, Gene made a shout out to me, you know, Tom Morello, who everybody respects because he's such a, a spokesperson for, for rock and roll, you know, and, and such a talented artist in his own right mentions my name, all of that meant so much to me, you know, so it was a win that way. And sadly, I think it's just the way the Hall of Fame handled it. That, that yeah, it and I I was point. glad to see you there. I, I mean, I was incredibly lucky that Ace and Peter found a spot for me with them because sure. we know that uh, it's not an easy seat. <laughs> it's not a cheap <laughs> yeah, seat. No, I know. And I know. everybody gets a plus one. And beyond that, it's like five grand. It's ridiculous. So oh, ridiculous. The, fact that, the fact that I had had you know that seat there and then to see you and and i believe eric sure. singer was there too i think and tommy yeah, of yeah, to, to see everybody there. there at that table yep. i thought that was really yeah. at least some representation exactly. of the contributions that were made for sure one last kiss thing and i want to ask you some unrelated kiss stuff okay. we talked about favorite records favorite moments what have you you of course were part of kiss during the mtv heyday do you have a favorite video that you did with the band well, I mean, I have to admit, uh, there was two involving water. That was just a blast. And of course, it was <laughs> Who Wants to Be Lonely and and Tears of Falling. You know, one, I took a shower. The other one, they told me, yeah, fall back into the water. You know, it was just so crazy, but but pretty iconic. I, I have to admit, well, they wanted me to be noticed. They sure they sure accomplished that for me, didn't they? Oh, yeah, right? yeah. Did Were they both done the same day? They were both in England, right? Were they shot in England? Um you know, actually, I don't think so. I think um, the two done in England, I think, are Who Wants to Be Lonely and uh, All Night. Okay? Oh, okay. I think Tears of Falling were done, was done in America. And oh, somebody out there I know knows if that's true, but they were separate. But I know we did a two-for-one kind of trip to London. By the way, it was actually much more affordable that way. Can you imagine? And of course, that's not, <laughs> that, 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 that wasn't very true. We're, years past that. As we know, Europe is so yeah. expensive. But but anyway, I, I I love doing stuff like that. I got great photos of me and uh, Eric Carr during that era in London. You know, great memories, really great. Let me ask you some stuff outside of uh, of Kiss. One of my favorite records and one of my favorite artists you played on his first solo record, and that's yeah. Billy Squire. Tell the tape. I oh, love great. Billy Squire and I, you sure. know, the act, technically the first band I ever saw play live was Billy's first band Piper because my first concert mm-hmm. was Kiss at the Garden in 77 and Piper was the opening act. I had no idea who Piper was as a kid going, right. but ever since I love those two records and I love Billy's catalog, but tell the tape. The record just before he broke is a great record, and you yeah. play a, a lot of lead. I think the bulk of the lead guitar on it. How did you get that gig, and what are your thoughts about that record? Well, being a New Yorker, obviously, I, I've heard of Billy, knew of Billy, and I was recording. It really was about being in the right place at the right time. I was working up in Woodstock uh, at a studio, which was Levon Helm Studio, actually, which is like a home studio, and Eddie Offord was the guy from yes, the guy who engineered and produced the yes albums, fragile and all those, you know, great records. Um, Eddie owned that, or rather he was renting that studio from Levon. And there was a project I did before that. And then Billy wanted to use Eddie knowing he was like a, you know, a great engineer. And I was in the right place at the right time where all of a sudden, you know, Billy's asking needs a guitarist and, and it was me. So it was wonderful. And, and I have to be honest that, 
sadly, I, I couldn't completely finish everything on that record. I did all the basic tracks with him. Most of the time, I'm on one side of the stereo spectrum. Some of the solos were what I was able to con- accomplish before I got busy. And the only reason was I had to do some rehearsing with Michael Bolton because of, you know, uh, some blackjack commitment or something that band I had with Michael. Um, and that's how I didn't wind up going on tour with him, too, you see, uh, for that record. Even though he didn't break for Tale of the Tape, what a fantastic album. And then the other footnote that you should know, which is really interesting, Billy really liked the way I played. I had such admiration to him. I used to watch him make all his notes while he was recording what amp he used, what microphone, how to do things. And I, I adopted that. I, I stole that idea from him, right? So anytime I was recording, I made detailed notes of what I was doing. But Billy, um, some of the solos that I didn't, I, I always would take the solo spot. And if I didn't, if I couldn't come back to perfect it, he actually would take a lot of them and re-record them and then perfect them. So uh, there were quite a few solos that, what an honor for me. It, you know, in other words, the solo is Billy playing it, but it was like 90% my riffs. He just did it a little smoother with a telly, with the sound he wanted to get. And that, that meant a lot to me. But like, like Rich Kid, that's me playing the solos on my BC Rich, you know, and a few other songs. Calio, one of my favorite songs ever. Great song. Zach, uh. Zach Throne goes crazy when I mention that song. He starts singing it in my house. One time we played it all the way through in my house, you know. Yeah, so Zach you got and good I taste there. Yeah, Zach and I went. To, Zach and I went down to Fremont once when I was out there. He went to a b- little bar with yep. a jukebox, and they had some old Billy Squire on, and we just oh. got drunk yep. and geeked out and absolutely loved yep. it. What a great songwriter Billy is! And the crazy thing is, is that as I'm sure you know, the Big Beat, yes, the, the, on that record has become right. one of the most sampled uh-huh. rock songs really in hip hop history. Right? Yep. Yeah, it's a huge uh, Jay Z and all these guys have sampled it. So. Bruce is busting out a guitar right there yeah, in, in right. our video shot that we have right now. This is in tune, yeah. Well, I love that riff I do at the end. You know. Something yeah, like yeah. that. I play those yeah. riffs. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was really, you know, everything you do, and I and I give a message to those musicians out there listening to your show, Eddie, is, you know, everything you get involved with should be, one, obviously a professional job, do it right, do it the best you can. And it's also a learning experience to take you to the next thing, okay? So that's why everyone in, in any, you know, kind of job should always be looking at every opportunity and all the work they do is, um, you know, something to just be the building block. And that album meant a lot to me, and I learned from Billy. And um, I, I'm so proud of it. I'm really proud of it. So thank you. Yes. And also, you mentioned Michael Bolton, who sure. a lot of people, if you don't, people don't know, Michael Bolton had a hard rock and band with Bruce called Blackjack. And mm-hmm. then you ended up going to play with Michael on the Everybody's Crazy record. I think there's a lot of your solos yes. on there. So yep. you have a long history with Michael. Are you still in touch with him? Yeah, we still keep in touch. And, uh, you know, what's interesting was like, you see, he took a couple of years off and I wound up with the Good Rats, who I'm sure you're familiar with, you know, sure. with Joe Franco and Peppa, Peppy and Peppy, his brother. Yeah. And we wound up, um, then Michael finally rebranded himself, changed Bolotin to Bolton, okay? Still had that strong look, you know what I mean? Like, and, and it was more like a white snake looking cover uh, for, for a lead singer. But um, I went on tour with him and this to show you how everything connects, you know? So now, you know, we, we're doing um, like three weeks with Bob Seeger, which is a great opportunity. And, and, and Seeger actually wanted more rock music because Michael did some cover songs too, besides that new record that he was promoting. And we wound up doing some blackjack music, which is great. But the drummer that was playing with Seeger at the time and for quite a few tours was Don Brewer. And that's how I wound up meeting Don, which would then be later me being wow. on that short list. And in 20 years now, I've played with Grand Funk Railroad. It's amazing. That's incredible. And the last, the last thing, and again, there's so much more I want to get into on all this stuff, but time's an issue right now. Of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Union, which, of course, you're playing with Fitz now in this, yep. doing the 80s Kiss stuff, but Union was really a band that should have happened in Karabi, and it was just really great material. And are you in touch with, with Karabi at all? And, and do you feel there's unfinished business with that band ever? Um, you know, we get asked a lot about a, a union reunion. I guess it, it rolls off the tongue well, right? Yeah. But, uh, and I, I'm not opposed to doing something with John, and I could see it happening. We, we've, we've never, you know, uh, it, it didn't end for union because we didn't get along or fighting. It's just the business forced that. Um, so so if, if that opportunity arises, sure. But I did want to mention, um, 
you know, it's it. My thing with Brent is more than just doing, you know, the Kiss material. We, we're working on originals, and that means oh, a wow. lot to me. Okay, and you know, people always ask when's your next solo record, Bruce? It's been ten years, you know, because of BK three coming out, yeah, February two thousand ten. Yeah, it's been over ten years now, and it drives me crazy. But actually, I'm, uh, just yesterday, I was writing with Todd through FaceTime and Zach the day before. You know, and I spoke to Brent yesterday as well, just mentioning, you know, go do your thing. I know he's always got to deal with some things, you know, for his parents and stuff, but in Canada. But honestly, um, that's that's going to be the next thing is original stuff with those guys. I can't wait. Well, that'd be great. Those are you know, super talented guys, and uh, yep. that'll be great to have a new record coming with them. It's great. Everybody's got so much going on, and I think the one upside of everybody in, being in quarantine is it's a it's a good time to to do the creativity in the studio bit, and we should have a ton of great new music. Hopefully, exactly. we can all get back out to getting back to normal. Well, thanks to Bruce for that great conversation. It was great to catch up with him and have him on the show. It had been a while, as I said. And I appreciate him joining me. And again, rest in peace to his brother, Bob. At the time we did that interview, Bob was still with us. And uh, Bob passed away a couple days after that interview first aired on my volume show. Thank you guys all for listening to my podcast, which is new every Thursday at podcast1.com, Apple Podcasts, and of course, Spotify. Thank you to Katie Irizarry for putting it all together. And social media at Eddie Trunk, Twitter, fan page on Facebook, Instagram, and EddieTrunk.com. Don't forget about the Alice Cooper deal I mentioned earlier. Sign up and join me to talk with Alice if you are able to get in on it. Love to have you on board when we record that tomorrow, June 5th. And I think that covers it for this week. Everybody be safe, be healthy, be well, be peaceful, and have a great week. If you're in the U.S. or Canada, check me daily on Volume Channel 106, and I will catch you next Thursday back here for another edition of the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music field trip to America's jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com.